Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you're with us or you're with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. The Buck Sexton Show. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Great to have you here with me. Very much appreciate it. An honor, a privilege, and a pleasure. You want to chat with me? 844-900-2825-844-900 buck. Uh, we should definitely have a talk about all of the, all of the things that are going on right now in the world. Whatever is on your mind, whatever particularly catches your fancy. Um so the the, the biggest thing going on right now is the march to the wall. Now, when I say that, you could think of two things. One, this caravan that has decided that it is it is no longer going. Do we have a it, the caravan has stopped for now, right? But I I would not take that to the bank, folks. Car- caravan stop, caravans go. It's the nature of these things. It might just be laying low until the political winds shift a little bit. They may decide to go to a different area, try and cross. We shall see. We will delve into that. But we could also be talking about the march. To our border from the north by members of the National Guard. President Trump has sent the National Guard to the border to help with border security in response to the unacceptable flow of drugs, criminal activity, and illegal immigrants. Before I go much deeper into what all this means, let's just ask a very basic question. I want to focus on immigration the, the basics of it in some ways, because we have to deprogram ourselves. Much of what we believe, much of what we think when it comes to immigration is, in fact, not true. Because there has been a concerted campaign, a collaboration, if you will, between the Democrats and the left wing mainstream media and the elite establishment in this country and in a bi- bipartisan fashion, folks. A lot of Republicans get blame on this one, too. But to convince us all that immigration doesn't really need to be enforced, immigration is always good, the more the merrier. In fact, not just the more the merrier, we have an obligation to take in as many people from the third world as possible. As many people who can come into the country who are in desperate need of assistance. That would because we have an obligation because we've done bad things in the rest of the world. You see, it is in some ways an expansion or an an addendum to the post-colonial thinking of the academic elite. Right. They think America did all these bad things all over the world. And that's why there are problems. Why is the Mideast so messed up? Oh, it's America's fault. Right. Why is. South America, Central America, why do they have all these problems they've got? Depending on the country. Uh, It's America's fault. So what should we do to make up for it? Just bring them in. The more, the merrier, right? The more people we can bring into this country, the better. 
Why is why does Mexico have the problems that it does? They'll say it's America's fault. In fact, on the very issue of the opioid epidemic of of the drugs that are flooding into this country from Mexico. You will notice that there are there are Mexican politicians. I have heard them say it. And there are certainly a lot of journalists as well who blame the problems of Mexico's police and governmental corruption on the United States. Because, you see, we're the market for the drugs. Therefore, it's our fault. That cartels run parts of that country the way they do. It's our fault that there is endemic corruption across the Mexican government and security forces. What most people don't ever get to stop and think is, hold on a second. What does it do to our country that we have, you know, we have a country right next door that is turning a blind eye to vast illegal immigration that has been going on for decades, and that is a necessary component of the strategy of setting up uh, coyotes, smugglers, setting up these smuggling networks, uh, establishing forward operating positions for the drug cartels in America for the uh, distribution of substances that are now killing over 60,000 of us a year. And as I've said to you, and It should not have been hard to figure this out, but it's taken some time, some number crunching, and finally the truth is getting out. It's not mostly OxyContin that people are overdosing on. It's not mostly drugs that you can actually get a prescription for and for which there are real medical needs. That's a component of the problem, but it is a much smaller piece of this puzzle than we've been led to believe. Why is that? Oh, because if Americans actually started to think, hold on a second, Having an unsecure border, having vast, uncontrolled, near unrestricted illegal immigration into the country for years and years and years isn't just a problem for the economy. It isn't just a problem for cultural cohesion. It's a security problem that is costing thousands of lives each year. You do not have, you flatly do not have the heroin overdoses and fentanyl overdoses that have been occurring in this country if they weren't growing heroin now in the highlands of Mexico. A lot harder to get this stuff here from Afghanistan, folks. If you didn't have cartels both making their own illegal fentanyl and bringing it in from vast uh, labs in China, so it moves from the Chinese labs into Mexico and then across our border via the Mexican cartel pipelines, which are the same pipelines as illegal immigrants, the same pipelines that use human smuggling. In fact, the human smuggling networks provide money for these organizations that are also moving the drugs. It's the same thing, right? If you're if you know where if you're moving people across the border, if you're doing illegal things, why would you stop it moving people who as we know also will get, sometimes uh, get killed in the process. A lot of women are are uh, raped by this the smugglers. Uh, the terrible things happen due to the human smuggling involving we call them coyotes, you know, but the human smugglers tied to the cartels. And we're, we're having this, this change in perception about what this all means for us. You know, the, the, we have a multi-billion dollar media apparatus in this country. We have, I, I can't even count how many different, I can't even name all the different organizations that have investigative reporters. That's what they'll call them, investigative reporters on their staffs. How many of them have been investigating what's going on with MS-13 the last couple of years, last 10 years even? Very few. There are some. But very few. 
How many of them are looking into the opioid epidemic and tying it to illegal immigrant communities because it is necessary for the cartels to have illegal immigrants in an area that they can use for cover for the actions they're taking, which is selling the drugs that are killing so many of us. And looking at what's going on across the border and also any complicity on the part of the Mexican government. The answer is very, very few. Why is that? Because they're not interested in it. Why? It's a fascinating story, isn't it? And you've got you've got life and death issues, drugs, cartels, violence, government corruption. Nation changing stuff here over the long run. With the flow of illegals into the country, what that does to our political climate, what it does to our economy over time. And, and, and then the, the drug, a drug epidemic worse than it's ever been hitting parts of the country that aren't used to thinking about any kind of criminal threat that could be mortal, really. Right? It's hitting areas that otherwise would be quite safe and quite peaceful. And we're, it's just all now coming out. And, and why? Because we have a president that we have been told by that same media is a liar, is a lout, is grotesque, doesn't know anything. And here we are, we're finally having the discussion. The truth is coming out. It's taking quite a while. It's becoming acceptable to discuss these issues in public and not worry you're going to lose your job, lose your reputation. Because the left can't change the facts. They can hide them, but they can't really change them. They can come up with fake news. But the truth is, in fact, to borrow from... uh, What's the show with the aliens, with the FBI guys? You know what I'm talking about? The X-Files. The truth is out there. The truth is out there. It's out there on immigration. Uh, so I think the Trump sending the National Guard is essential. And, and the I don't even know if I asked you this basic question. This is where I was going initially, and then I got a little bit of a rant, a little bit of a tear. Why didn't other presidents do this? this is a national security issue. Why hasn't the National Guard, and I know people say it's been done, but the Obama administration didn't want to do this. Why? And why is it so strange to the media that this is happening? Such a shock to them right now. Uh, We'll get into this and and much more. I I have updates for you, or it won't be all that much, but an update on the, the YouTube shooting yesterday. That was just, The whole thing is just bizarre. Uh, Only the shooter was killed, so that's very fortunate. Um, But we've got information on her, which I'm sure some of you have seen, but whoa. Um, Also, we'll discuss uh, the latest on the Mueller probe. Dershowitz uh, will weigh in later on the show as a soundbite, not a guest. That makes it sound like I was going to have to. We got Emily Campagna, who honestly I'd much rather have than Dershowitz, so there's that. Um, We'll talk to her about uh, what's going on with the Mueller investigation at this point in time, and, uh, oh, and, and Amazon and Trump and all the fighting over Amazon. We'll get into that, too. And Chinese tariffs. Man, I got, we got a pack. It's a good thing I've got three hours. See, I'm not, Dan, I'm not Dan Rather. I don't do a 30-minute show here. We'll talk about that as well. I just laid out a whole laundry list, folks. We'll hit it. I'll be right back. Stay with me. Border security is homeland security, which is national security. Uh, It's not a partisan issue. It's not something we can separate out. It's core to being a sovereign nation. The president has reiterated this many times. In fact, he has specifically said that a sovereign nation that cannot, or worse not, chooses not to defend its borders will soon cease, in fact, to be a sovereign nation. The threat is real. 
DHS Secretary Kirsten Nielsen there saying that uh, this is a, a security issue top to bottom. And it's time to do something about about the border. And this president has finally decided to be uh, as proactive as he can on this issue. Uh, I think that he also recognized that the omnibus bill upset a lot of us in his in his corner, myself included. You know that I, I told you about that. What had happened? I felt like the president did not give us, you know, it, it was not as promised. That is for sure. The omnibus bill was not good enough. And. The big part of it that was amiss, the fact that there was not really wall funding. There was a little wall funding, but nothing nothing significant, not enough. And so now we're seeing a president who's taking all the actions that he can from a purely executive authority standpoint to secure the border. And who's, who's going to take a guess? Do you think the media is like, wow, a, a president that is going to go with rule of law here. This We should really encourage this. This is great. You know, oh, no. Oh, no, they, they think this is some kind of uh, terrible human rights abuse. They hate this idea of securing the border. They absolutely hate it. I'm not sure I understand what the urgency for this is. It seems like it ramped up, um, you know, just over the last several days and since the weekend, in fact. But the House is not here. The Senate is not here. Um, why is this such an urgent priority right now for the president to sign? Uh, we are seeing more and more advertising, and very unfortunately, by the traffickers and smugglers to our south, specific to how to get around our system and enter our country and stay. Uh, we have uh, documented cases of borrowing children appearing at the border as a family unit in a fraudulent way. So, Oh, you mean people abuse our immigration laws and lie and commit fraud so they can exploit the loopholes? What a shock. I've been telling you now, how many times have I been saying to you, you know, we got a, a lot of unaccompanied 17-year-olds uh, at the border who are actually 25. A lot of people who are like, yeah, that's my kid. Take me in and then let me let me go inside the U.S. And there's ne- there's never going to be accountability for this. Our border security system is a joke if foreigners can show up lie and know there's a 99% chance they're going to get to stay. Another thing, by the way, do you really think that the border the border patrol is able to determine on the spot without any papers or identification? Of course, they don't have that, right? They're undocumented. Tell the difference in whether someone's coming from Honduras or El Salvador or, you know, Mexico, Bolivia, who knows? Anyone who shows up who Seems like they can pass for coming from Latin America. Heck, I mean, they're probably guys who are showing up who aren't even from Latin America who are saying, yeah, I'm from El Salvador. Take me in. You know, oh, you don't even speak Spanish. Eh, details. I'm fleeing violence. You say, Buck, no, there's a court system. And they, they, they don't even show up for court. We don't enforce the laws. We don't tell people that that's what's going on, or the media doesn't tell people that's what's going on, but it's the truth. Once you're here, you get to stay. I mean, heck, you even had Democrats until, I mean, Democrats recently have been willing to stand up for keeping everyone in this country who's here illegally, up to and including criminals, as long as they weren't really dangerous, violent criminals. And even then, you get the sense there's some Democrats who are like, no, they're, they're our problem now. Yeah, it's not it's not a U.S. citizen and it's not somebody who's legally allowed to be here. And it's a gang member who's got blood on his hands. 
Let's not send. Let's not be mean. Deport him. Send him back to his home country. What kind of what kind of savages are we if we do such a thing? Right. You get the sense that I mean, the Democrats have completely lost it on this one. But you, this is what I, I keep saying. If they could only be normal and pose as a party that cared about a party that really just cared about health care and all, oh, let's give more money to the teachers unions or for, quote, education. And we, we want to help the working man and we you know, all that stuff. They might have they might have a real shot in the midterms. But the problem is they're actually a far left party now. There is no more. There's no more constituency or, or there's no more representation of a constituency that would have been in line with, you know, the Democrats of 30, 40 years ago. That's why people keep talking about what Reagan was facing. There were there were pretty normal, reasonable Democrats in the Congress that, that Reagan could work with. Right. There were actually people who could be counted on to see things with a rational with a rational eye from the other party. You don't have a lot of that now, do you? No, you do not. I mean, look at who runs. Look at who runs things for the Democrats. It's the far left, and on immigration, the far left means that they are the the party of amnesty, the party of lawlessness, and the party of you better pay your taxes to the letter, so that we can just increase access for illegal and access is just a nice way of saying welfare uh, to illegal aliens in this country for health care for uh, for school for everything else. And the stuff that people say, you know, I've actually had some pretty uncomfortable exchanges with folks from the libertarian side on this, too. Some of these libertarian think tanks that will not remain oh, that will remain unnamed where they'll say, you know, no, everything that every, every immigrant just co- just contributes to the economy. Well, yeah, I'm sure. But what do they take from the economy? What's the cost? And also, what is the cost to our rule of law? You know, I'm going to have to write a very painful check to the IRS this week. I'm actually going to do it probably tomorrow. Uh, I don't get to say, you know, I just, I, I'm going to do really good things with that money. I'm going to give a lot more of it to charity if I just don't have to pay my taxes. And it also doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to any of you, right? If I didn't pay my taxes, it doesn't matter to any of you. It is irrational to think that one person's taxes matter. Oh, but it's the law. So I'm a citizen. I respect the law. And I obey it, even when I don't agree with it. Why does something not seem right then with our immigration enforcement? He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. We stepped up the targeting of dangerous criminal gangs such as MS-13. We removed thousands more criminal aliens than the year prior. We no longer exempt entire classes of illegal aliens from the consequences of breaking our immigration laws. We began the first new border wall system construction in close to a decade. We modified our asylum system processing to more quickly adjudicate claims. And we ended so-called temporary immigration programs that were either constitutionally dubious or were administered in a manner that was inconsistent with the purpose of the law or contrary to the intent of Congress. Despite these actions, we've recently seen the numbers of illegal border crossings rise from 40-year lows last April to pre- back to previous levels. Our current border security and immigration laws fail the American people. Really good rundown there from DHS Secretary Nielsen about what they're doing and what they're facing right now. My friends, this has been going on for decades. 
you mentioned in that same speech, 300,000 illegal alien crossers each year. 300,000 a year. That's a lot of people coming into a country who are completely unvetted, who, you know, we don't don't know what they're going to do when they get here. We don't know if we can count on them to contribute to the economy or if there'll be a net drain on the economy. We don't know if they're going to act in ways that are in compliance with the rest of our laws. And most importantly, we're bringing them into our polity and into our political tribe, if you will, this thing called America, without being invited. Now they're our responsibility. Now this is an imposition on all the American people. As you're you know, getting ready, if, you're having a, if you haven't already done it, you know, to pay your taxes this week, just remember that. This is theft that is going on. It is theft. The Democrats, just like how China steals their intellectual property, you can come up with a lot of different ways. Oh, no, they're just, it's a, a program and we're information sharing. No, they're stealing. Chinese government is stealing. And if you start to break this down into information as dollars and dollars as time, people that are doing a lot of R&D for high-tech U.S. companies and that see that get siphoned off to China through illicit means, it's like their time is being stolen from them, right? Their money is being stolen because now you're going to have Chinese companies that are able to use those same, uh, those, that same information, those proprietary secrets for their own benefit. So when you pay your taxes now, understand the Democrats are complicit. I shouldn't even say complicit. Democrats are masterminding a vast scheme to undermine the rule of law, but also to redistribute your wealth to people that aren't even allowed to be in the country. People who say illegal aliens don't get federal benefits are lying to you. There are all kinds of ways they get benefits. The biggest benefit, I would note, is to be in America and to work here and to enjoy our rule of law, our systems, our day-to-day life. That's the biggest benefit of being here. I mean, yeah, there's also a whole lot of federal welfare programs, but what people want more than anything else is they would like to be in this country. And so if they just take that, there is a value there. There is value in it. Uh, Just one more thing here. I don't. I don't buy that the caravan is done. This caravan of a thousand Central Americans marching through Mexico on their way to the knowing that they're just going to turn themselves in and under current law, because the Democrats, remember, if if the Republican Congress, you know, as I say this, why the heck isn't the Republican Congress trying to do this? At least force the Democrats hand on it. Make them filibuster it. I I thought we, we can't trust Republicans on this. I think Trump is serious about it. But you can't trust Paul Ryan on immigration. Paul Ryan is terrible on immigration. Terrible. He's a uh, right along, uh, right along with the you know let's do get let's do lots of guest worker programs and let's do a mass amnesty and he, he'd give Nancy Pelosi pretty much everything she wants for her you know the, the Pelosi preferred immigration program. Because right now is the time for the Republican Congress to pass measures to address exactly what DHS Secretary Nielsen was talking about to restore sovereignty and rule of law when it comes to our immigration system and our border. Make the Democrats filibuster it. Make them stand up and state their case that they don't really believe that we are allowed to have borders. 
We, we can we can have administration at the borders. Oh, yeah, we'll know who's coming in, but we can't really turn anyone away. And we certainly can't expel anyone once they've gotten into this country. Um, that's but but I don't believe that this caravan is done. Uh, I have a feeling that, OK, right now, Trump is mentioning uh, or has, Trump has decided to activate National Guard. That's going to be under the control of the governors in various states. And I know before people start calling in, yeah, the Bush administration did this, too. I'm not saying it's unprecedented. But it shouldn't be surprised. The media is, oh, my gosh, a militarized border. They're freaking out about it. What's the alternative to continue as we are right now, to continue as is? That's really no alternative. In the long run, it just leads to disaster. Tim in Rhode Island, you got thoughts on this? We want to hear them. Hello? Yes, sir. You're on radio. Hey, how's it going? It's good. What's up? Hey, thanks thanks for having me on. So... Uh, let's not get this twisted. The Democrats want these people in this country because they want votes. Absolutely. I say that all the time. Uh, I just I can't for the life of me figure it out why people that are public figures aren't calling them out for this. It's, it's obvious. It's clear as day. Why are they not doing anything about it? Why are they not calling them out? I just I mean, politics is just run by money. It's all about money. So. Why aren't there enough people like us that think like us getting together and trying to get rid of this political system? Okay, well, a couple of things here, Tim. One is that the the position of greatest virtue signaling on immigration is the, you know, give me your tired, your poor, your meek, your hungry, you know, whatever. I mean, the position that celebrities, Democrat politicians, persons of note with money, influence and followings and platforms. The position they like to take is, oh, no, we want you know, the, the more the merrier and legal, illegal doesn't doesn't matter. We just want the more the merrier because immigrants, we, we have been brainwashed in this country to think that immigrants are actually better than Americans, that we are a, that we are at the same time a country of immigrants, but immigrants are also better than us. So we're all immigrants, but immigrants are better than us. And it's it's convoluted. It's self-contradictory. It makes no sense. But this is what they've been feeding us over time. And I have to laugh. I just talked to somebody today. I said, you know, occasionally I even I rail against using the term undocumented because it's so dishonest. But I occasionally I'll even go, yeah, you know, what are we going to do with all these undocumented? Oh, my gosh. It just happens. It's the effect of the propaganda. It's the effect of the messaging. And on, on immigration, we've just had a wake up call as a country that we have been lied to, not just by one administration, not just by one news network. We have been lied to. As a people, all Americans, whether they realize it or not, on the left, on the right, about what's really going on here, what the policies of the government are and what the long term impact will be for all of us. But, Tim, the real, you know, the answer to why don't more people stand up because you don't want to be called racist because you don't want to be called mean. And all these oh, different well, phrases are deployed so that it seems well, like you're just being unfair. You know, most illegal immigrants in this country are non-white, so there's a racial issue, a racial component that gets brought into it. That's why. Well, I think, Buck, that more people need to stand up for each other that believe like we do. You see it all over the place, just with Laura Ingram. So this uh, this hard kid says that everyone should boycott her. Why aren't people that think like her trying to defend her? I think, I, uh, to be honest like, with you, Tim, I like think people did. I think there were a lot of people that came to Laura's defense and and were saying, you know, I stand with Laura, and 
and Fox did the right thing, and it's an important precedent they set, because otherwise it's all over. I mean, this whole business just just is going to disintegrate. So, you know, I I think that there's uh, people are waking up to this, Tim. Thank you for calling in from Rhode Island. Uh, People are waking up to this a bit more now, and they are taking action, and they are understanding what's at stake here. So you know I find the immigration issue to be very, very important. We'll continue to watch it closely here in the Freedom Hut. And uh, I I also want to talk to you about trade, China, uh, more stuff on Facebook. Oh, my. we got more stuff to talk about with Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. Oh, my gosh. Uh, people are very, very spun up about that one. Uh, we've got a lot a lot coming up here, folks. If you want to chat with me, 844-900-BUCK. We've got some folks on the lines. We'll try to get some calls as long as I can remember to do so. I do get caught in buck rants, buckalogs. Oh, we can, you know, we can make that a thing. Buckalogs. He come downeth from the mountain for a buckalog. Quick break. We'll be right back. Well, the freak out over Facebook continues. Uh, I'm kind of confused. I was talking to the guys in the break. Who doesn't understand that Facebook is not your buddy? Not, it's not your friend. Facebook is a massive corporation that makes a lot of money. Uh, Facebook is a very capital-efficient business. It's one of the most powerful corporations, financially speaking and otherwise, on the planet right now. People are like, oh, but the community standards and the, the terms of service, and we're protected. Nope, you are not. Um. So Zuckerberg was on a phone call, the CEO, who is, I think, a couple a year or two younger than me. He's a billionaire. Whatever. I'm worth, like, hundreds of dollars. So Zuckerberg was uh, on this conference call, and he said, quote, we've seen some scraping. I would assume that if you had that setting turned on, that someone at some point has access to your public information in some way. Just can I, can I break down what he's saying here? I mean, I don't even really need to. You know what I'm you know what it is because he said it. Public information, stuff that you are sharing with the general public that anyone has a right to see can be grabbed by online entities in order to market stuff to you. Why does this get everyone all, oh my gosh, what's going on here? People have this uh, notion that Facebook owes them something. No, no, no. Oh, we have we have the Zuckerberg call. Psh, we know people play it um, over the period of time that this feature has been has been around. People have been able to um, have been able to scrape public information, right? I mean, the the, the information that you can you, if you have someone's phone number, you can put that uh, in, and then you can get you know a link to their profile, which pulls up public information. So I certainly think that that um, it, it is reasonable to expect that. If you had that setting turned on, that at some point in the last several years, um, someone has probably accessed um, your public information in this way. <laughs> this is a big scandal, big story. This would be like me saying, oh, my gosh, things that I say over the radio, people across the country can hear. Yes, that is correct. Stuff that you put on your Facebook profile that is set to public is public. And you should always assume that stuff you have in your Facebook profile that's not public 
might as well be. Privacy is a very different concept that we have now. Uh, privacy is changing very rapidly. And we need to understand that there are trade-offs. And I think we do. Right? You do, I do. This is largely coming from people who either are, are deluded about what these social media companies are really up to. Right? They want to believe that there's some that they're all about social media is about social good, you know, doing good things for people, just you know, make connecting the world and all that stuff. No. Social media is a tool, just like any number of other things. Can be used for good, can be used for bad things. But this got all this attention because of Cambridge Analytica and Hillary. And so they've kept running with this story. And I sit around here and I'm like, what is the what is the surprise exactly? I don't even understand at this point how anyone could believe anything other than, yes, Facebook and these other companies, you know, they, they have access to your stuff. They know, you know, if you put male or female where you live and they have. Now we're being told that they might be scanning your uh, private messages. OK. So they they may scan your private messages. So what? They say they're doing it to avoid uh, because of terms of service violations or something. But I don't even know what what they're really looking for, because I mean, I'm assuming that some people on their Facebook messages, you know, things get a little spicy, probably sometimes, you know, hey, are you an angel? Because you look like you just fell from heaven. You know what I mean? I will say from some friends of mine who have, uh, you know, who have who have deep experience, uh, considerable experience on the on the dating apps that they hear stories from some of their lady friends that occasionally the photos that are sent are um are uh what's the word what's the way to say this cuz I know there's young ones young ones listening um so i was they're they're they're, they're what what did you say oh no i was going to say are very anatomically specific different yeah we're look, we're talking about different things here that's a common thing is that a violation of the terms of service? I don't know. Maybe it's in the confines of a loving uh, loving adult relationship. You know what? Husbands and wives want to send each other on Facebook as their own business. So I don't know why they're looking at that data for a possible terms of service violation. But the other thing is the Internet can only know what you put on the Internet. So, you know, the Internet may know that you... Uh, you know, the internet may know that, that that me, for example, they may know that I I like uh, Republican stuff and dogs and you know going to the beach or something. You know, but they don't necessarily know. You know, afraid of clowns and doesn't always think that you know if you're particularly relaxed while you're taking a shower that you need to step out of the shower to tend to all your business. You know, whatever it may be. You know, that's only stuff that, that the Internet knows if you put it out there on the Internet. It doesn't know it because, you know, everyone just needs to just take a deep breath on this one. I just don't see where the, the freak out continues to be here. Yeah, Facebook has all this information. They are gathering all this stuff. I, I try to tell people this all the time. They ask me, oh, you know, well, what about they, they think? And I, I understand it, too, because you know I come from a CIA background. And so I was like, no, nah, it's not really what I did. But they'll say, oh, can people... You know, can people uh, hack into your computer and see you via camera? And I say, you know, yeah, they can. And I don't, I don't know how to stop that. Listen, do you do the? Uh, do you guys do the tape on the at home? The tape on the the camera? You know what I'm saying? I know people who do that. I think that's a little. I think that's a little bit paranoid. Well, what are they going to see? You're going to see me sitting there in my uh, 
You know, I'm not like doing interpretive dances in front of my computer when I go home. Or maybe I am, but at least if I'm going to do that, I would cover the, you know, cover the camera. But I don't know what people are thinking about this stuff. The Facebook story, it's just not that interesting to me right now. But everyone else is really worked up about it. We got to talk about China and tariffs coming up here and Amazon. But first, information is critical and the security of your information is essential. That's why Global Verification Network is the best in the business. They are the only dual certified veteran owned background investigations and vetting company you see they won't send your data overseas they will keep it safe they'll keep it here also the people who will work on the cases that are brought to them the background investigation uh, investigations the vetting that they bring to bear that's all done here too by u.s based employees they're headquartered in chicago but they've got offices across the nation they can handle the most important cases just bring them to their attention Background investigations and vetting. Call uh, call 877-695-1179, 877-695-1179, or go to mygvn.com. That's my, M-Y, uh, Gamma Vector Nano. I know that was, that's not even, but yeah, mygvn.com. We'll be right back. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show, everyone. Uh, yesterday, we went on air right in the aftermath of that uh, shooting at YouTube's uh, headquarters in California. And I got to say, I was here in, in the hut with the guys, with my team, and we were looking at this and thinking, oh, God, this is, you know, you see reports of uh, lots of many shots fired and law enforcement confirmed there was an active shooter situation. And uh, it was a, a relief that no one was killed other than the shooter, uh, which seems very unlikely. I mean, if somebody had gone in there trying to cause maximum casualties, had a firearm and, and was able to get off a lot of rounds, you would think that you could be in a, there could be a much higher casualty count. Uh, but the initial reporting on it was that there was a a woman, and I saw oh, I'm sorry, a white woman with a headscarf who was shooting her boyfriend. I, I remember that. And sometime last night, the story went from this is remember this is about the shooting at, at YouTube. White woman shoots boyfriend at YouTube headquarters to Iranian Muslim vegan video blogger, activist, engaged in rage shooting of YouTube because it demonetized her videos. That is that is quite a quite a change in the storyline or an addition to the storyline. Uh, turns out that the the YouTube shooter spoke with police just hours before the attack and they they saw her. She was sleeping in a car in Mountain View, California, and they thought that she might be a missing person. So they just talked to her, and uh, they had no reason to detain her or to suspect anything. So they let her go. I saw people saying that's a re- they miss red flags. I, there's nothing. They, they, they I don't know what they were supposed to see in that. This woman uh, Nasim Agdam has lots of videos. I saw clips and they were making the rounds last night. She, look, it's a very Clearly, a a a bizarre uh, a bizarre person 
uh, she was. She she killed herself here, and I I think we can assume had some very serious uh, mental illness. Uh, she would make these videos that were parody music videos. She was a a a well. It was well established that she was an animal rights activist, was always railing against animal cruelty, was a vegan, and was an Iranian. And that's, that's kind of what we know. She was angry at, uh, at YouTube. Angry because they kept changing the terms of service on her, or they kept demonetizing her videos. And she said that they were restricting, and this is from the other videos she posted, right? Or they're restricting people's ability to watch her videos, putting age restrictions on them. And so she thought that she was a victim of some kind of YouTube censorship. She may have been, I don't know, paranoid schizophrenic or something. There's, I can't do a medical diagnosis from afar. One, because I'm not a medical doctor, and two, we don't have enough information just yet. But it certainly seems like there was something, well, we know there's something very wrong with her. She turned into a, 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 the YouTube shooter, but it seems like there was something clinically uh, quite wrong with her. Just one thing I would note, you know, yesterday I asked you, I said, how was it, this is one of the questions, I said, why, if she's, if you're just going to shoot her, if you're just going to shoot a boyfriend, if it's a lover's quarrel that goes, that turns into violence, you're probably not going to shoot three other people, right? So this was an attempted mass shooting, and I, I thought it was strange that initially we were getting these law enforcement reports about how, or the, the initial reports, I should say, from contact with law enforcement was that it was, uh, she was targeting her boyfriend. There was no boyfriend. She just went in and started shooting some people. Which, in the context of the the situation, if you play it on your head, well, yeah, it was a mass shooting. She was trying to get revenge on YouTube for the perceived slights of demonetizing her videos. Um, had nothing to do with a boyfriend. Uh, nothing. To, there was no. This wasn't a crime of passion, lovers quarrel, any of that. Which makes sense now when you think about okay. You know, if if you're really angry at your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and you make the horrible decision, you're going to be violent about it. You would think you you wouldn't shoot a few people that just happen to be standing nearby. So, just in our in our analysis of this afterwards, I'd say we raised that question. I think it was an important one to raise. That just didn't make sense. It just didn't make sense. And now we know uh, she was trying to kill as many people as possible. It is uh, something of a miracle, I think, given that she got into the facility, had a loaded weapon. Actually, never. It was a handgun, right? I never saw. I mean, I'm assuming it's a handgun. Uh, so, and managed to get off a whole bunch of rounds. Didn't kill anybody, and shot herself. This this is one of these times where you can say this could have been a lot worse. It could have been a lot worse. Um, but there is also, and this is just from the media coverage angle. Of this and that we can move past this. I don't think there's a lot to say on this. I just wanted to follow up and close the loop from yesterday. The, int- the interest level from the media kept changing depending on what they thought. You know, what, was it was it an assault rifle? No, it was a pistol. Okay, well, that's not as there are a whole bunch of different outlets that, that doesn't fit into the narrative that they could run with, right? Say so it's a it was a, a white woman. I saw that being reported a lot, as though I don't know is that that's a, an important detail for some media outlets. But then we find out well, she's Iranian. And then you get into, well, is that now, is, is that now, do we not distinguish? Because I'm pretty sure that there will be lots of folks of Middle Eastern descent, which is Iranian now. Remember, it's not Arab, Persian, or, you know, Farsi-speaking Iran. I saw some of that on Twitter. People say, well, she's actually Arab. No, no, not, that's not true. Uh, she's 
Persian, or you could say she's Iranian, uh, of Iranian descent. But you just see the way that, that, that there was, it was like all in coverage for a little bit from some, and then it kind of went away, and then a lot of coverage, and then it kind of went away. And at the end of the day, it's it was it's tough for the left to make much of a, uh, of a narrative storyline that pushes an agenda out of vegan amateur bodybuilder YouTube video maker of Iranian extraction who is angry for her movie her movies being demonetized on YouTube. That that doesn't really they don't really know what to how to package that one to push an agenda. Is all I'm trying to say. That's kind of that's uh, kind of wacko stuff. And so that's what I got for you on the YouTube. Wacko stuff. That's really the the bottom line up front here. And uh, with that, I want to come back to you and talk a bit more about, uh, talk a bit about uh, the spat between, well, you got a couple of spats, multiple spats. You got the U.S. and China, which is putting some people on edge. We'll get into that over tariffs and what we're going to do on trade and what our responses should be. And then, and then also... What was the other spat? Now I'm 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 totally blanking. What was it? Yeah, I can't remember now. What? I was Amazon. Saying. Amazon. Thank you. I completely spaced there for a second. See, you got you're like my you guys are like my Alexa. You know my my Freedom Hut team. You're like you know, fuck. You should not forget things. That's right. I should not. Eight four four nine hundred two eight two five. You want to chat? Let's do it. And uh, we'll be back in a few. We're going through the review period. Uh, we're uh, very lucky that we have the best negotiator at the table in the president, and we're going to go through that process. It'll be a couple months before tariffs on either side uh, would go into effect and be implemented, and we're hopeful that China will do the right thing. Look, China created this problem, not President Trump, but we finally actually have a president who's willing to stand up and say enough is enough. We're going to stop the unfair trade practices. We're asking China to stop uh, unfair trade practices, and we're going to work through that process over the next couple of months. Blame China, not President Trump, because they've been going on for many years. Trump is really the first president to fight back and to uh, put a shot across the bow, stealing intellectual property rights, technology transfers, uh, high barriers, investment limitations, high tariffs. This stuff is really um, not just unfair, it's unlawful. It's outside the boundaries of the uh, WTO. Every country in the world knows this. Every analyst knows this is the case. Somebody's got to deal with it. President Trump is going to deal with it. I'm not a fan of tariffs. I'm a free trader by and large. But I think the president is completely right to take these actions. I got to say, the, the, the thinking on this is changing, folks, isn't it? I'm not saying everybody. I'm not saying entirely. But remember when just a few weeks ago, oh, my gosh, tariffs, it's terrible. Okay, well, he's not putting tariffs up just because he thinks that it's going to create some flourishing domestic industrial capacity that we didn't have before, although that might happen in some industries a little bit in some ways. But this is a means of dealing with Chinese malfeasance in the area of trade. And, and I just, I, it's such a, you know, you, you the same way on immigration, I, I try to ask very basic questions and then get into the details. You start with the very basic questions of dealing with China and, and why we would put tariffs in place. 
Like, okay, so is the answer that China gets to do whatever it wants? China can do anything that it thinks is in its economic interest vis-a-vis the United States. And if China wants to steal our stuff, go for it. China wants to steal our intellectual property, have at it. They They want to protect certain industries that they're trying to give a bigger market share to by putting in their own tariffs? Fine. And what do we do? Nothing. We just go, oh gosh, you know, China, yeah, they're really, you know, they're really taking, taking a rough line with us on this stuff, you know, it's a shame. Trump is doing something. He's taking action. The administration is saying that they are going to put in place more tariffs, specifically targeting the theft of intellectual property, which is, as I have been telling you, is among the biggest problems we face going forward, not just economically speaking, but also it's, it's gonna, we're going to see it's a problem militarily. We're going to see it's a problem militarily. Uh, there's been all kinds of things. Remember, there's the theft that, there, there are different tiers of, of espionage and intellectual property theft that go on. There's what you hear about and the government knows about. Right? Those are the things that make their way into the headlines. You know, oh, this Chinese company it is uh, suspected of having stolen sensitive U.S. technology or, you know, individual in custody for passing secrets to China. You'll have that. There's what happens that the public doesn't know about, but the government knows about. And that's going to be a lot of that in the cyber realm. I don't really want to tell people what's going on there. We don't, we don't really get to know what the government knows, especially in the realm of cyber. And, and that's a lot. And then you add to that another whole level of what we don't know and our government doesn't know. And once you put all those layers together, it's a lot of stuff that has been taken from this country and used for the advantage of the Chinese state and the Chinese economy and the Chinese military. And what have we done you know, you'll notice how the same press corps that's always saying, oh, he's not doing enough about Russia. Why doesn't he do more about Russia? More sanctions, more... And I'm just seeing there's reports out as we were, went on air that there may be sanctions for um, Russian oligarchs you know, coming up. The, the administration might do even more against Russia than it's already done, which is much more than Obama did. But they're so willing to antagonize the Russian state for doing things that, while we don't like, don't really affect us. Doesn't really matter all that much to you and me. And what happens in our lives and our kids' lives, well, your kids' lives, but, you know, our American kids' lives. What China's doing affects you. You may work for, in fact, you very well uh, do work for a company that at least competes with Chinese companies. You may, you may be working for a company that, you know or you don't know has been the subject of hacking efforts from China. Steal your data, steal information, steal even more. Who knows? That really affects you. And and any actions taken that address that are considered to be reckless and irresponsible. And how could Trump do this? And it's so terrible. Well, the other option is just to let the Chinese do whatever they want. Continue to Flout. It's the fun word, you know. You really you say that if you say flout, you feel a little fancy, but it's different than being, say, a flautist. You see, you see what I did there. But you know, you you, you see how the global opinion is 
all quite settled on China. There's really no such thing as global opinion, right? But the international community's leadership, there you go, that's a term that we can use, is settled on China engaged in bad behavior. And what do we do in response? Nothing. China is the top trading partner for uh, tons of countries. I mean, I think if you if you actually look at a list of countries, China is at least in the top 10 trading partners for almost every country on Earth. I don't, I don't know where Micronesia is getting most of its stuff these days, but like all the major countries out there, you know, sorry, San Marino, uh, but all the major companies out there, uh, co- companies, countries, uh, they're doing a lot of business with China. So that also affects this too. You know, the, the China, there's a little bit of a of an implied bullying here for a lot, of, or, or not even just implied, there's a little bit of bullying that goes on from the Chinese government against countries that don't have the ability to push back. So if we don't do it, who's going to? But like I said, you start with the very simple questions. What If, if not tariffs, what's the response? Suffer in silence, let the Chinese government do what it wants? That seems to be a bad idea. Seems to me like we should probably find ways to at least go beyond expressing the occasional bit of displeasure here. Uh, we got some calls in, and I haven't taken many today, and I'd like to hear from all of you. So let's go to Karen in Michigan. What's up, Karen? Hey, Box. How are you? I'm good. Thank I you for your call. You so I don't have anything, like, profound to say, like a lot of these guys are calling about, you know, the strategies in China or anything. But I, um, I had two things. The quick thing is this issue with the immigrants has the making of, like, a really great 70s movie. The military goes down there to stop the bad guys. You know, all those movies were like that. And the other thing I wanted to say quick was this story of this woman, the shooter, um, reminds me so much of that story about the lady. Um, and it was done a while back. I think she worked for NASA. She was like an astronaut. Oh, yeah. And she drove with a diaper on like for eight yeah. hours to uh, yeah. with the woman because she had like a, a lover's quarrel. And yeah. yeah right. Yes. And she had she had like duct tape in the trunk of the car and, yes. and weapons. And just like I said, okay, these are accomplished, intelligent people. What is going on? Even this woman. I don't know if this woman was accomplished. I, I, but, but I, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> I think that might be giving her a little, a, a, a bit too much credit. Uh, I think the slope dipped after a while, but she was educated, and it just strikes me so odd that somebody would go to school and work so hard for a job, and you know, get a career. And then drive eight hours in a diaper to kill your lover's fat person. It just seems bizarre. It, it, like- it, it is definitely bizarre, Karen. I pre- appreciate <laughs> you. Shield side. Thank you for calling in from Michigan. Oh, there's no doubt about it. When you decide, I don't care what line of work you're in. If you decide it's time to strap on a diaper because you're not going to, you don't want to waste time and you don't want to go to the bathroom, that's dedication. To whatever the task at hand may be, when you're like, you know what, I'm going to, yeah, I mean, like, how many of us, how many of us have been on a long, long drive? You know, maybe, maybe you had a a, a bottle of uh, a bottle of Sanka. Do they still make that, by the way? Yeah, they do. There's st- really, and I, I always get yelled at because I say, it's, "What do they call, they call it? Pop in the South, or the, you know, you got all these weird terms." The rest of the country, we just call it soda here in New York, but I think pop, right? But you know, you got an empty bottle. You know, what, what are you going to do with that bottle? Long car drive. You really, you really want to have to pull over into the, I'm just saying people become, you know, necessity is the mother of invention and people become very, uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? In, in, there's ingenuity at work in long rides sometimes involving empty bottles and whatever else you got. So let's talk about Amazon coming right up. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. The post office is losing billions of dollars, and the taxpayers are paying for that money because it delivers packages for Amazon at a very below cost. And that's not fair to the United States. It's not fair to our taxpayers. And Amazon has the money to pay the fair rate at the post office, which would be much more than they're paying right now. But if you look at the cost that we're subsidizing, we're giving a subsidy to Amazon, and we're talking about billions of dollars a year, the real cost. And a report just came out. They said $1.47, I believe, or about that, for every time they deliver a package, the United States government, meaning the post office, loses $1.47. So Amazon is going to have to pay much more money to the post office. There's no doubt about that. President Trump going after Amazon bigly. And you know, I'm a little I'm a little torn here because Amazon does so much for me. It has made me so lazy that now the thought of actually like having to go to the corner to buy toilet paper, milk, toothpaste. I just expect it all to be waiting for me now in a little box when I get home to my uh, to my home. I just expect it to be there. And and whenever I, I actually have to go to a store now to get something, I find myself thinking, can I just get this on Amazon? If the answer is yes, I can order it with my phone. It, it, is, it makes me, uh, well, supremely lazy, but also the convenience is, is incredible now. When I moved into a, an, an apartment this, this year, or what was it, a year ago, almost a year ago now, I think I bought 90% of what was in the apartment, including furniture and everything on it. Now, obviously, I'm not much of an interior decorator. I'm not a fancy guy, but it all came from Amazon. So Amazon's amazing. I mean, you get anything. I love Amazon also because you can even type in things that aren't a thing and it'll find it for you. You're like, I need... The, the thing that attaches to the bottom of the table where I can put the thing that looks at the, and it'll, it, you're like, oh, it's a, it's a thingamabob. And I can get it for $9.99. And it'll be de- 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 delivered in a day. I love getting thingamabobs. Uh, I've had that experience many times. So, so Amazon is incredible. There's a reason that Jeff Bezos is worth $80 billion. But, you know, if Trump... If what Trump's saying is true, that they're getting a, a, a ride on the post office's coattails, that's something that sh- certainly needs to be looked at. And I've seen people, look, I don't know enough. The post office loses money, as we all know. So would it, would it surprise any of us if the post office was doing all this stuff for Amazon? They're like, well, we'll lose money per package, but we'll make it up on volume. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all. That said, you know, that's something that, Post office, federal government, they should probably handle that, right? Speaking of the federal government, on the tax side of the equation, truth here is that I, I am sure that Amazon has all kinds of cool tax breaks and loopholes, probably along the lines of what uh, General Electric, which is a company that's in rough shape, uh, General Electric had 
some years ago where it paid, I think it was in 2011, zero, zero, in, zero tax on its, uh, on its revenue. Zero. How is that? Oh, a lot, a lot of very complicated financial engineering by the accountants. But by the way, I would like to get a, I would like to get a team of accountants that could help me somehow have zero in pay zero taxes. Right? If a company can do it, why can't an individual? I thought corporations are people. Aren't people corporations? Uh, so I agree that's a problem. But this is also a, a bigger problem, and that is. We got some tax cuts, great, and they're a good thing. They're also very standard for the GOP. There's nothing about these tax cuts that's really uh, blowing my mind. But I would like to see Trump, while he still has the time to push issues like this, talk about a, a fair tax or, or a flat tax. I'll take either. People say, Buck, do you have a preference? I, I don't really. Just give me one or the other. As long as the tax code, and this is a, probably a pretty good time to talk about this, folks, considering that uh, tax day is, you know, in a week and change. As long as the IRS code is 70,000 plus pages, there will be all kinds of chicanery. You like that? Good, good word. I, he uses the good words. He does. He does. Doesn't know how many presidents are from Ohio, but I'll get to that later. Yeah, I know. I messed up. People were like, Buck, come on, man. Weak sauce. It was very, it was Jay. You do three hours of live radio at a time. You got to, occasionally you're going to run into some some stuff. You know, you're going to step in it. And with that one, my bad, Ohio. You got a lot, you guys got lots of presidents. I'll talk about that though later on. Because there's so many messages came in on that in the roll call. Trust me, we'll get to it. Uh, so on Amazon, if it's a tax issue, that's where the Congress has to step in and actually do something. But, see, Congress doesn't want to. I'll let you in a little secret that you already know. Congress doesn't want to make a tax code that's transparent, that's fair, that's clear. No. How are they going to be powerful? How are they going to keep their jobs, keep their prerogatives? Um, what are they going to do if they can't create carve-outs in the tax code for people? And the answer is, that's why they don't want to do it. That's why we're not going to get a fair tax, a flat tax. And that's a great frustration because if you have powerful interests that are able to lobby Congress for their own giveaways and tax breaks and everything else, it's going to continue and continue. Is Amazon a problem? We'll see. Look, Walmart's getting very big in the digital space now, too. You know, that there's there's competition, right? It's just Amazon's Amazon's also annoying to trump i think because it is as he calls it the amazon washington post there's a reason that uh, mr bezos wanted what is i think the second favorite paper of liberals in this country he paid 250 million dollars for it which bezos has in his couch cushions uh, and we can't think for a second that that doesn't influence there's no way, right? It, it, people say, oh, but Buck, no one at Amazon actually gives directives to the Washington Post that they should cover things. That, yeah, but people at the Washington Post certainly know Amazon writes the checks here. Uh, they, the Washington Post is, for all intents and purposes, when it comes to the way they cover things related to Amazon and business, a subsidiary of Amazon, okay? I know that freak out if they heard me say that or they'd be like who is this guy with the poofy hair and the big voice and the huge head um but that's that's the reality of it that's the truth 
So we'll, we'll have to see. We'll see if Trump can, continues. I'm a little surprised, but I, I do love it when I can get my thingamabob delivered free of charge in 24 hours, and I don't have to get. I don't just stay in sweats all day. All my consumer needs basically met via via Amazon these days. Uh, so that's kind of fun. I like that part of it. Oh, we've got to talk about Mueller and the probe. We are joined by a legal expert, our friend Emily Campagna, with that up next. The biggest development, I thought, in the last couple of days is that it's now obvious that Mueller thinks, and he's wrong, that he thinks collusion is a crime. In his memo, he talks about colluding with the Russians or collusion as a crime against the federal government. I want to issue a challenge to him right now. I challenge special counsel Mueller to cite the statute or the case or the source or any legal information that would make collusion or colluding with Russia a crime. He's not going to be able to find so it. Why, no statute, why do you? Why do no you? Case. There he had Professor Dershowitz, the Dersh. He was on actually right before me today over at Fox News. I was answering. Right, I was hanging out with my my main man Hammer, and uh, we had a good time talking about spying stuff in D.C. But before that. Sure enough, we had uh, we had Professor Dershowitz on. He was saying collusion is not a crime. Well, we have our own legal expert here, our Freedom Hut legal expert. That's right. Emily Campagno is with us now. You can follow her on Twitter at Emily Campagno. And uh, she's a lawyer, a legal analyst. She knows about all these things. And she's with us. Emily, thank you so much for calling in. Thanks for having me back. Appreciate it. So uh, what do you think about this collusion issue raised uh, or that, that Dershowitz is addressing here where he's saying that Mueller now it seems to be acting under the premise that collusion is a crime and as Professor Dershowitz points out this is pretty straightforward it either exists in criminal statute or it doesn't right he's absolutely correct and uh, you know what it is you could argue semantics but obviously in the eyes of the law semantics matters what is against the law is conspiracy, right, or concerted activity toward violating a federal statute. That's what you can prove, and that is what we can find in the federal, in, in criminal law, right, federal and state. Um, so there's no, there's no collusion against the law. And so I think what, what Alan Dershowitz is saying, rightly so, is just get your facts straight, get your words straight. And unfortunately, what that does is create this currency and this narrative that now everyone is talking about, but really it's inaccurate. And it doesn't do anyone good to to think that they know either what is the point of the investigation or what what he's really looking for. When, frankly, again, Dershowitz is right. There's no such thing as collusion being against the law. So, again, it's conspiracy or uh, concerted activity toward violating a federal statute. And that federal statute would not be, quote unquote, collusion. Emily, why is it that you th- why do you think and I'm asking you to to uh, surmise here because you can't know. But why do you think that they don't just say that they're investigating conspiracy, right? I mean, wouldn't that be much more clear and much more straightforward? Because to me, it suggests that collusion could be just whatever people want it to be. It could be a pol- essentially a, a political charge without it actually being a criminal charge. Do you, do you have any sense of wh- why not just say they're looking at conspiracy? The only argument I could make for that as a strategy is goes back to actually the issue with it, which is the fact that it's kind of this colloquial umbrella term that has no actual legal definition. And so perhaps that is purposeful in that it enables the investigation to, from under that rubric of quote-unquote collusion, find specific charges or statutes that 
alleged behavior has um, has infringed upon or has has been done toward, right? Meaning it basically says, look, we are investigating this big, broad term under which a lot of specific crimes could fall under or specific charges could fall under. And that's why it creates a broader stroke that we can then paint with. So that would be the, the only argument strategically that I see, because definitely it's inaccurate, overbroad, and again, not in the criminal system. I want to continue with our trend here of having uh, Emily Campagno uh, analyze the Dersh's analysis, so please play clip two. He has to be a subject, not a target, before the Justice Department can ask him to uh, testify. Uh, generally, the Justice Department does not ask targets to testify, because if you're a target, that means you're going to be prosecuted. And uh, so telling him he's a subject is just another way of saying, we want you to testify. We're going to subpoena you in front of the grand jury if we can't make a deal with you. Um, it's it's a magic a code word. It's just a way of saying you have no excuse not to testify because you're not a target. You're just a subject. Okay. So what can you tell us about this stuff? Target, person of interest, subject, witness, suspect, all these different terms. Target and subject. What's the difference here that we need to know about? Right. First of all, I agree with the Dersh, as you call him, which is so funny. And think of it as a spectrum, dear listeners. And it's a target is on one end. And again, uh, Dershowitz is correct, where it, it's, it's someone that investigators have substantial evidence that ties them to a crime and who is a putative defendant, which means they are likely to face charges. So that's one end of the spectrum. And then on the other end of the spectrum would be, you know, you just mentioned a witness, right? So that would be someone that an investigator wants to talk to, you know, likely has information, maybe doesn't, um, but they are not specifically investigating that particular person. That's why they would be a witness. And then in the middle, it would be the subject. And that is someone whose conduct is within the scope of that investigation. You know, it's it's basically someone um, who's under scrutiny. And it also means that someone who is a subject can very easily become a target after said interview that you just mentioned or after uncovering you know more evidence or they can be put up the spectrum back to simple witness if look here's here's what they told us and it all checks out and they're they're simply a witness and they've given this investigation they're no longer a subject so to me a i agree with that distinction and b it wasn't a surprise i mean that's that's been the whole point of this Mueller investigation to begin with right is that we knew the president was a subject of it so to me this just reinforced what we already knew and then brought to light again these terms so that the public could educate themselves as to what they mean legally. Emily, you've worked on a lot of a lot of uh, cases, including uh, federal federal uh, criminal cases in your career. Tell me about whether you can we get a sense as to is the Mueller probe based on what we're hearing and seeing and these announcements? Is it getting in the final phases here or do we have any idea about the timeline? I will say no amount of experience could could enable me to accurately gauge that because everything is different. But I will say clinically looking at this, from the beginning, we thought it would be wrapped up within three months, right? That's what Mueller and his team specifically said. And now we're stretching toward a year. And it would behoove everyone involved in that investigation and especially the public if it were wrapped up soon for a multitude of reasons, one being our faith in the effectiveness of the investigation and our tax dollars that are paying for it. And also so that we make sure that it's far away from the midterm elections, right? We want to make sure that there there isn't any more that can be brought to the table as arguing 
against election integrity or arguing that things have been tainted or affected in some way. And I also feel that there's a, a measure of fatigue associated with it, right? Um, but I will say, you know, going back again, it's just my experience. Oh, no, I've seen investigations last forever and then some that wrap up quickly. So um, just for listeners, I think it could be anything. But again, for the reasons I stated, it would behoove them to wrap this up as soon as possible. And also to prevent the argument that, look, is this is, has this become or was this always a fishing expedition? Like, you know, you at some point you have to surrender rather than keep digging and digging, digging. Emily, Com- Emily Campagno, everyone, legal analyst. Follow her on Twitter at Emily Campagno and also EmilyCampagno.com is her site. Emily, always great to have you. Thank you so much for the time. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Buck. Talk soon. All right, team, we got uh, hour three coming up. I'm going to tell you a little bit about fake news. You got some new new folks weighing in on the fake news, or one guy in particular. We're going to have some fun with it because, wow, among the worst people ever to be giving tutorials on what is and is not fake news. You can't even make this stuff up. I can't make it up, and I'm a pretty creative guy. So we'll be talking about that. Also, zombie raccoons? Hmm? You want to know about that? You got to stay and keep listening because that's going to be in the next hour. And uh, hug a newsman day. We'll discuss. We'll discuss. Hour three, coming up. Welcome to Hour Three, team. Great to have you here with me. So a lot of, lot of debates, a lot of discussions out there, as you all know, about fake news. People keep talking about it. Trump has more than any figure in recent memory held the media to account by saying, you know what? Fake news is a real problem. And some of the biggest news outlets in the country are, in fact, guilty of it. Either from time to time or sometimes some places, some organizations guilty of it a lot. But who should we turn to? What wise sage in the news space could we count on to let us know the truth of fake news and how to avoid it? Here is a guide to protecting yourself against fake news from Dan Rather, the king of fake news. If you're really interested in identifying fake news and figuring out what to believe, if you're truly invested in the work of being a good, informed citizen, may I respectfully offer a short primer. Number one. Wait, wait, wait. Let's pause this for one second. Let's pause this for a second. Here you have a man who belongs to an era of TV news and TV journalism that is, is rapidly going away. And he's someone who didn't have the competition you have to deal with today, uh, certainly didn't have the Internet, didn't have all this different stuff. He was really a glorified actor. He would go on television and sound like this and had his hair a certain way and would stare into the camera a certain way. Now, I actually, this is random but true, was an intern at CBS Evening News with Dan Rather when I was uh, 18 years old. My first ever internship, even though I didn't think I ever wanted to work in media, was in media because the executive producer at the time was a graduate of my high school and his name just was on one of these lists of people you reach out to if you want an internship, right? So I, I checked it out. So I was there for, for Dan Rather. And I remember showing up and, and doing all the little intern things. You know, I was Xeroxing and running scripts, which is a fancy way of saying taking things off a printer and handing them to people. I was good at that job. I did it with, with gusto. 
but I remember thinking, this guy Dan Rather, he shows up every day for his, I forget, was it 5.30 or 6, I guess 6.30 broadcast. He shows up every day at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, spends about 40 minutes in the makeup chair making sure that everything is just so and kind of just gabbing and talking, yes, blah, 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 blah. And then he sits there and reads the words that someone else has written for him off of a prompter and goes home. And he was making $7 million a year to do that. Half-hour show, folks. I sit here unscripted doing a three-hour radio show for you. So let me tell you, when I say that a half-hour show is really, really not hard on TV, I mean it. Especially when you're not even going extemporaneous. You're not just flying off the cuff. You're actually just reading off of the teleprompter what they tell you to. But Dan Rather sounded the part, looked the part, but then he had a little little boo-boo, a little, little snafu. Remember the whole National Guard document thing with Bush where he went on air with forged documents that could have changed the course of a presidential election? That was, in fact, fake news. And I would argue among the fakest of fake news moments that our media has ever dealt with, And I think there's just a particular hubris of having the king of fake news himself trying to tell. This just was went out today. Right. I'm not pulling something from the vault from years ago. He's out there trying to inform Americans about fake news. Uh, And since he's doing that, why don't we hear a little more what he has to say? Saying that trusting a news outlet does not mean they're perfect. No one's perfect. It means they tell you when they screw up. Number two. Don't rely on just one news outlet. Number three, don't rely on just the news to understand an issue. Read books. Find the experts. Find out how issues are discussed outside of news. All right. So what you have here is essentially condescending, pompous Mr. Rogers. That's what's going on. Condescending, pompous Mr. Rogers. No offense to Mr. Rogers, but you're going to read books. Don't just rely on one source for your news. Uh, and, and also, no news source is perfect. We know, everyone knows all of this. Literally, no one needs to be told any of this. Why Dan Rather, who got, look, he's very lucky. He's a very lucky guy. There were 40 other dudes with, you know, nondescript coastal accents and side parted hair. I can say it because that's how I rock the side part, obviously that could have had that job, but he had that job and became incredibly wealthy. And, you know, he's, he's had a great run, right? He's a very lucky guy, but you know what it is? The ego that people develop when they achieve any degree of uh, notoriety in this business, especially when they have fame and wealth, a lot of people get overcome by their own ego. It's just the, the ego monster is uncontrollable. And I think with someone like Dan Rather, he really believes that he needs to set things right and that he's still a necessary part of the national conversation. It reminds me of Larry King. He's like, hey, I'll come back on, you know. Hey, I'll interview anyone. Let's get it going. And it's like, we don't need, we don't need him. We don't, we don't need Larry King. It's okay. He had a great run. He had a great run. Very lucky guy. But... There are other people that will do these jobs now. It's okay to you know, focus on other things. Focus on your private life, your personal life, your family, charity, whatever it may be. But journalists just don't want to give it up in particular. TV journalists in particular do not ever want to step aside. 
never want to. They, unlike, you know, you think about other careers, you know, with everything from a small family business and you know, all the way up to corporate America, people at some point generally want to stop. You know, they generally want to retire. These people in the, in the media business who are from the old school of journalism, people like Dan Rather, Larry King, and others, they never want to stop. They never want to step aside. They think they should have the big job forever. Well, you know, that's not how it works. The circle of life, my friends. Time for some new stuff. But rather, um, I'm going to try not to have a, a play on words using his name there. I'm going to avoid that. Rather would rather, I guess I just did it, uh, tell us all that we need to read books. He would rather lecture us on fake news. And there's something uh, particularly galling about this is what he thinks he should be focusing on. I mean, think about the delusion. The guy who lost his job, and it was a hard thing, too, to, for him to get fired from CBS. It wasn't a Me Too sexual harassment thing or anything like that. It was for the failure to perform the basic due diligence of a journalist in a presidential election when there could have been very real consequences. I mean, it's so funny. We talk about Russia collusion and, oh, all the, and, and Okomi and the email and everything else. You had the, the very media that now breathlessly reports on all the excuses that Hillary has for why she didn't win the election. That very same media was the one that supported and really coddled and revered based on nothing. I, mean, I, never, I don't think the guy's not particularly funny. He's not insightful. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't get it, folks. He's just really, really lucky. But that same media tried to throw the election back in uh, 2004. Right? That same media figured that they could come up with a way to completely uh, destroy the chances of the Bush administration. Or, or destroy the chances of a Bush victory. And now here they're election. Let's let, a little more from, from condescending Mr. Rogers wannabe rather here. Go ahead. Number four. Number if four. If you find yourself agreeing with everything your news outlet says, you're doing it wrong. If your news doesn't challenge you, challenge your news. All right, pause it for a second. It's just a little thing. You're doing it wrong is a contemporary phrase that I promise you Dan Rather does not use in his day-to-day. He didn't write this. He didn't write it. No way. You're doing it wrong. That's what a, a couple of generations below him would say, you know, if blah, 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 you're doing it wrong. You know, this is almost a, it is an Internet meme. Uh, so Dan Rather is now lecturing you on fake news by reading the words that others wrote for him about fake news. And doesn't see the irony in any of this. Really thinks that we need to hear from him on it. A little more, a little more. From now, number five, find a commentator whose politics differ from yours, intellectually honest, even though their values differ from yours. If you can't find such a person, maybe the media is not the problem. And number six, remember that what the news tells you is far less important than what they decide to talk about in the first place. If they focus on personal, salacious, and speculative stories, find a new outlet. So he's basically saying that CNN stinks and you shouldn't watch it. So thanks for that, Dan, rather. Uh, you know, I just, it's, uh, as a guy who got into this business really by accident or kind of fell into it, uh, I find it amazing 
that you still have these these individuals. They, they don't understand that the game has changed. This is a different world we're living in now. Um, and we don't need we we don't need to have Dan rather lecturing us about the news anymore. We, we really don't. A guy who tried to throw a presidential election for the Democrat against the Republican does not have to weigh in here. He's very rich. I'm sure there's a lot of beautiful golf courses he should be hanging out on, and I wish him all the best on them. I wish he would just leave the rest of us alone. He, he wouldn't be able to get to first base in today's media environment. That's just the truth. And I mean if he were 30 years younger. It doesn't matter. All right, we're rolling to a quick break. We come back. Zombie raccoons are a real thing. Can you defend yourself against them? I will tell you when we come back. Now, i got to tell you all about something. It's very serious. There have been sightings in Youngstown, Ohio, according to various news sources, of zombie raccoons. You may be saying to yourself, what the heck is a zombie raccoon? Well, according to locals, it is, quote, raccoons that stand up on hind legs, which raccoons don't usually do, and they show their teeth... And then they fall over backwards, and then they go into a comatose condition. End quote. This is quite a thing, my friends. This is happening. Numerous cases of zombie raccoon sightings in Youngstown, Ohio. I'm not sure the raccoon apocalypse is upon us quite yet. But I will tell you that raccoons, from a distance, look kind of cute. You get up close to them, though, and they are the stuff of nightmares. And in fact, if you've ever seen, and don't ask me why I've seen this, a photo of a completely shaved or furless raccoon, they look like some kind of giant mutant rat sent to destroy us all. So they're actually quite terrifying. I'm going to tell you right now, it's a little story time with Buck. I had my own own, uh, encounter some years ago with a zombie raccoon. So I was going out to visit Dom who was my program director at The Blaze. I was heading out to his house. Lovely place. It's really a, a cabin in the a cabin in the woods uh, right next to a lake. And we had a great time. We went out ATVing and did all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, but it, it, was, it was rural. You know, it was a rural area. And I, I arrive at the, at the house, at the cabin. And look, I'm... I'm a guy who comes from the city, and I don't want people to think, oh, you know, I can't, I can't handle ooh, all the scary animals. and ooh. Although maybe that sometimes is how I feel. But, you know, I, I'm, I've been out in the woods, been out in the desert, been out in war zones, right? I should be able to handle anything. So I'm, I'm trying to be cool. I got my little, my little backpack on, my three-day pack, if you will, and I'm walking up to the front door. And sure enough, a... A, and, and Dom is being so hospitable. He's one of the nicest guys on, on the planet. He really is. And he's, he brought me into radio years ago, taught me, uh, worked with me, listened to my uh, air checks, you know, gave me pointers in the earliest days of, of the Buck Sexton show. The first time I'm out of his house. And, and I'm so excited. And a black lab it comes running out the door to greet me. And this is, I'm like, this is perfect, right? It's this beautiful... Uh, you know, quiet cabin overlooking a lake, you know, uh, Mrs. Dom is, is coming out to say hi. But but first, I, this black lab comes out, and I love labs. I mean, I love all dogs, but labs are in, like, my top ten. You know, labs are a top ten dog for me. You know, I, I have my favorites. All canines are great for me, but 
I have my favorites. And so this black lab comes out, and we're just, oh, look at the black lab. And I'm, you know, rubbing it around the ears, and, you know, oh, the black lab is so cute. And I'm, I'm thinking this is going to be my buddy for the next few days. Then all of a sudden, you know, I mean, a real growl comes out of this black lab. And I can see the, the fur on the back kind of, you know, the, the whole thing, the whole, this dog is now very unhappy. And I turn around, and, and this is broad daylight, folks. I mean, it's, it's maybe noon. I mean, it's as bright and sunny a day as you can get. And I turn around, and out from this wood pile that was right next to the front door scurries the scariest-looking zombie raccoon I've ever seen. <laughs> I have never seen this in my fo- before in my life, my friends. And the guys in the studio see what I'm talking about. It went back on its hind legs like a bear, except it was a little raccoon, Hind legs, and then you saw it's like nasty little creepy claw, you know, has these little creepy claw hands and baring its teeth at the dog. And I'm standing there, I'm just like, oh God. And I'm thinking, does it have rabies? And now we got the black lab. And I'm not going to lie, the city slicker here did not exactly jump into action. I was just like, oh no, what do it was everything was kind of slow motion because I got this beloved black lab facing off against zombie raccoon. First two minutes of my then boss, I'm visiting his house, hanging out with his family, and we, we get a we got a zombie raccoon going up against the family pet. This is like an old yeller situation, folks. I mean, this is this is high stakes. It's intense. And then, sure enough, I stand there frozen and do nothing. Dom runs into you know, God God bless Michigan. Uh, you know, runs into his house. He is a a, a lawful Second Amendment uh, Second Amendment proponent of the United States. And sure enough, he he had a I forget what it was. I think it was a, a I think he pulled out a, a thirty eight, and he comes out. And in about this all happened in a span of about ten seconds. He just comes out, and the zombie raccoon is on its back legs. <laughs> And it's little claws and everything. And I'm standing there. I'm like, I don't. And the dog is, and they're about to square off. And Dom comes up and just boom, boom, boom. And I mean, that raccoon, zombie raccoon, not much left. Couldn't even make a hat out of it. It's just donezo. So I just want to tell you about that because it's really a public safety announcement. If, in fact, you see a zombie raccoon where you are, do not approach. Do not let Fido or Muffy the Poodle go anywhere near it get yourself to the nearest location where you have a firearm or or however you prefer to deal with raccoons and some of you are probably like i'll use a bow whatever bow and arrow works too whatever you got and handle the situation appropriately in a manner worthy of the walking dead the zombie raccoon was toast I felt like it was important to share that story because this is a this is happening in Youngstown, Ohio. People they think for those of you who are wondering, like why is Buck telling me this crazy story? Uh, they they don't believe that it's rabies. Um, they think that it actually comes from a disease called distemper, uh, which can affect raccoons. It's not contagious to humans though, but it can make them do crazy things, and the brain and spinal cord are affected. So maybe there's a scientific reason for this. Or they're just zombie raccoons, folks. Be on the lookout. You never know when one of them is going to come flying out of the woodpile when you're trying to impress the boss and his wife for a weekend away. And with that, I'm going to go into a break. I'll be right back. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers got a hug. I don't know how many of you know this, and uh, I definitely don't know how many of you care. 
I'm guessing not very many. But today, today is in fact National Hug a News Person Day. That's right. Every April 4th, it is National Hug a News Person Day. It was formerly National Hug a Newsman Day. And this gives people the opportunity to say thank you and hug their local news person. Uh, so the way you're supposed to observe, <laughs> this is so dumb, I know. The way you're supposed to observe this is if you aren't able to hug your news person, you can send them a virtual one. Use hashtag hug a news person day to post on social media. So those of you who feel like, I don't know, Maybe you have maybe you have a favorite news person who does radio every night for premier networks from six to nine Eastern uh, and has a really widely downloaded podcast that you think is great. And I I mean, maybe there's somebody who fits that description and you want to send them a virtual hug with hashtag hug a news person. (laughs) This This is like the lamest call out i think i've ever done on this show i think it's really funny it's ridiculous you, you don't have to do it i'm just kidding uh, i swear mostly but i'd also say that uh we've we've entered an, an era now where i don't know if i'm allowed to hug colleagues because of all the stuff that's happened in the last year i now am in this awkward position of uh i ask for permission i ask for permission to hug People can hug me. I don't care. I mean, pretty much anyone, a stranger on the street could hug me. It doesn't bother me. Uh, But I ask for permission before I hug even people that I know really well. So maybe you get kind of a pass on National Hug a News Person Day. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily bet on that. But we have reached a period now where, oh, even when I do a live event somewhere uh, like I did recently out in Indiana, when I do a live event, you know how you take a photo with somebody, you usually want to do the like hand on the back, you know, because you're you're presenting a, uh, a friendly, a friendly picture. And I male, female doesn't matter. got to, you know, is it OK if I put my hand on your back? And sometimes I even just do the hand that is raised that looks like my hands on the person's back, but I actually don't touch them because I feel like that's OK. But the whole thing is just so weird. You know, you look at other cultures they do the whole kiss on the cheek thing. Some of you that know what I'm talking about in, uh, you know, some Middle Eastern countries and European countries, you get uh, guys kiss each other on both cheeks. And you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on there. Um, so, you know, in terms of hugging and of course, there's well, I'm just saying the hug stuff has gotten weird. The hug stuff has gotten weird. And now you don't really know. But hugging is important, everyone, you know. So how about this? Instead of do a hashtag hug your favorite news person day, which you can do if you want, because some other people that I know in the business, they had their followers and, and listeners and such on social media. Give them hashtag hugs anyway, but give a hug to somebody who actually means a lot to you. You know, not just in the in the sense of entertaining you. I mean, give a hug to somebody that you really love in your life. How about that? So go give someone a big hug. We can call it Freedom Hut hug day go go hug someone who really matters to you a big one you're you got orders team find someone that matters to you right now or right when the show's over don't don't stop listening and give them a big hug all right we'll be right back show ain't over yet folks it's time for roll call Woo, rock and roll you can't see it but i'm doing crazy air guitar in here 
All right, first up with our roll call here, we have uh, Lauren, who writes, I love that movie. That's in response to me saying, did you catch my movie reference when I said savor the flavor because it won't happen again? A Tommy Boy reference. She now responded, Lauren, on Facebook. I'm embarrassed to say that I had to Google the Tommy Boy quote, and even worse, I've never even seen Tommy Boy. I'll remedy that soon. Lauren, you have homework, all right? You need to see some Tommy Boy. It is a fantastic and fun film. I think it's Chris Farley's best movie, so you should uh, take my word for it and check it out. I've got such a long list now of all... Th- I gotta watch Chappaquiddick, Last Man Standing, Home Improvement. I got all these things now I gotta watch. And Miss Molly's always like, you know, we, we could also just do activities outside. I'm like, you know, honey, you're right. I-, I don't just have to watch things and read things and do media all the time. Must have a life. Must figure out my life. I mean, I, I don't want to become one of these weird media robot types. Next up, we got Phil who writes... Buck, love the show. I'm catching up on Monday's podcast. And you mentioned during your discussion of McKinley, he was the only president from the great state of Ohio. As a native of the great state of Ohio, I take umbrage with that. Ohio is actually tied with Virginia of states with the most presidents at eight. William Henry Harrison, ninth president. Ulysses S. Grant, 18th. Rutherford B. Hayes, 19th. James Garfield, 20th. Benjamin Harrison, 23rd, William McKinley, 25th, William Taft, 27th, William Harding, or sorry, Warren Harding, 29th, just a gentle buck slap. Keep up the great work. Phil, you're totally right. I was totally wrong. I can't remember. So here's why that was stuck in my head. When they renamed Mount McKinley Denali officially under uh, President Obama, you you recall that happened. Uh, There was Ohio was was upset about it. And I can't and I, and I thought it was because McKinley was the only something and from it having to do with Ohio. And now I can't remember what the statistic or what the factoid was. Clearly, though, I stand thoroughly buck slapped and you, you are, in fact, correct. Eight presidents tied to Ohio. And I would note that, Phil, you weren't the only one. I got lit up on this. But you know what? I like that all of you actually listen and you pay attention and you call me out when I make a mistake. So uh, definitely, I I can't pass the buck on that one. I uh, I got caught. I got caught up, and I stand corrected. Uh, next up, Will writes: Tell Bill Hemmer his hair's out of place. Oh, that must have been during my hit today on Fox News. Uh, Hemmer's one of the greats. He's a really talented broadcaster, a super nice guy, and very very skilled. Uh, on camera i know people watch some of the the news shows they think well you know how how hard can this be to be good at it is actually really hard anyone can do it but it's kind of like soccer well maybe this is a bad now you're like buck you're a communist why are you talking about soccer or in europe football uh but soccer is a simple game made hard by the people playing it all right to kick a ball and to kick it into a big net not hard it's just the other folks around you and all the other things that get added into it that make it hard same thing's true with TV. Anyone can speak into a camera on TV, especially if they're reading some stuff off the prompter. But to do it well, to do it better than other people becomes very difficult. Uh, next up here, we have Mike, who writes, Hey, Buck, great show. I'm always a day late when listening. Curious what the reality of using the military to defend our borders is. I find it funny to hear people say we need to bring our military back home to defend our country but we'll freak out when the talk of preventing this convoy of entering our country happens. 
as they are sitting on and defending a lot of borders of other countries. But the thought of using to protect our own borders makes progressives lose their minds. Look, uh, Mike, I think you're raising a very good point here. It's the National Guard for this nation, not for other nations. Why wouldn't we defend our borders? Isn't it interesting to note how successful and widespread the propaganda has been that we are now in a situation uh, where the notion of defending borders at all, and I just mean enforcing borders, is tied in with thoughts of racism, xenophobia, fear of foreigners, all this stuff, when every other country in the world defends its borders, maintains its borders, has laws about who comes and who goes. It is true. I know people try to dismiss it as some kind of talking point, but if you don't have borders, you don't have a country. It's that straightforward. Uh, Next up, we've got Kevin, who, whoa, quite a note here from Kevin. Buck, I catch the show every morning via podcast. On Tuesday, you mentioned there's a high percentage of Americans who uh, haven't read a book in the last year. This hit me for some reason as another division of the population. Am I being too sensitive? Maybe, but here's a short rundown explanation of why I may fall in this category. Household, uh, minimum since I was 27 of two children, two adults, three children, one dog, one cat. Today, six adults, two grandchildren, three dogs, two cats, and one hamster. Occupation, 55-year-old truck driver, uh, 37 years, four-plus million miles. And current schedule, up at 0350, back at the house at 1730-ish. Chores, 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 lots of stuff. Point, I'm not unique. Most Americans are busy. I do read, as you mentioned, articles, news, etc., and audiobooks. I do read Bible verses daily. I do read the Heritage Guide to the Constitution. I do have 10 books uh, I'll eventually get to, but lately, no. Uh, love your show, and Shields High is amazing. Keep it up, Kevin. Uh, P.S., I have a granddaughter named Molly. Well, Kevin, that's great, and Miss Molly will get a kick out of that, so thank you. And, Kevin, I hear you. I, I admitted this yesterday on the show. I've gone through periods where I realize I haven't read a book in a while. Yeah, for, for me, though, it's kind of like the gym, you know, or, or when I say the gym, whatever your activity, your physical activity is. Man, I've gone through periods where I'm just begging to get pre-dad dad bod, right? I'm just I'm scarfing chocolate left. And that's really chocolate and French fries. I always say my weakness. I mean, if, if anyone ever comes up with French fries dipped in chocolate, I'm going to I'm going to end up having a heart attack in a couple of weeks. So, you know, I've gone through periods where I've, I've been injured, I've been too tired, I've been too stressed, I've, you know, gotten a little unhealthy. And you just, you fight back and you, and you do what you can to get back in a good rhythm. The same thing's true of reading, and you should really think of it that way. You know, it's not, oh, I haven't read a book in the last year that says something about me. As you point out, Kevin, it just says you're busy. I get that. I'm just trying to encourage myself and everyone listening to the show, have a book that you are reading. Don't worry about how quickly you're going through it. Read two or three pages at a time, but keep it on your keep it within reach of your favorite chair. Keep it next to your bed if you're like me and you like to read at night before you go to sleep or, or just have it out on the coffee table. Not a coffee table book, right? Not, you know, paintings from 17th century France. No, like a book you're actually be like, I want to read it. You know, maybe it's uh, maybe it's the latest Brad Thor novel or maybe you, you picked up my friend Sean Parnell's novel that, that's just come out now. Um, I, I just finished Outlaw Platoon recently, and it's a phenomenal book. And Sean's such a great dude. And as you know, we have him here on the show whenever we can. But whatever it is, you know, if it's the great big book of the history of of knitting, 
you know, knitting's cool. Everyone needs sweaters, right? You, know, you do you, whatever it is. Just make time to read. Make it a habit. It's Reading is a habit. Just like health and fitness, it's a habit. And just because you're busy for a while and you've fallen out of it doesn't mean you don't go back to it, right? So I think that's uh, important. And, and as I say this, I'm going, yeah, Buck, you know, what was... Although, actually, I've, I've been on a good tear recently. Um, and when I first started in the media business, I was reading stacks and stacks. Now I spend more time preparing for the day-to-day of my shows. But I, I, I want to make sure that I'm getting enough time to read. And uh, that's something I'm going to work on. Next up here, Sarah writes, Hey, Buck, I would like to see some more... Or if you would like to see some more of Flyover Country, come check out the Memphis Bell on display at the U.S. Air Force Museum in Dayton, Ohio. She debuts on May 17th, 2018. I took two days off to be at the museum for all the events. Well, Sarah, thank you for the heads up. And that's really cool. I didn't know that that was a thing that was happening. So it turns out Memphis Bell, which for those of you who haven't seen it, it's just a really good World War II movie. You know, no agenda, no nothing, just showing you the, the reality of aerial combat in a B-17 bomber at the time. So, uh, but thank you, Sarah. I, I'd love to get out to Ohio. I was, I swear I'm not just making this up. I uh, just yesterday had lunch with a friend uh, who's Ohio based and he was saying, you got to come out and see us. And I said, oh, I'll come visit some of the affiliates. And it is absolutely on my list. Uh, we get Joe up next year. I was listening to your, to your podcast from four, three, and you were talking about allowing yourself time for a novel. I hear you, man. Have a kid. Not to be a jerk, more of a romantic comedy comment. Those 25% are probably the adults who are shoveling food on their kids' tummies. Huh? Love the show. I work from home and have office time in the evenings where I look forward to my time with Buck. Thanks, buddy. Shields high, Joe. Well, thank you, Joe. And uh, yeah, look, make time, make time for a novel. If I could... Some unsolicited, but I think pretty good advice. Always have a, no, a, a fiction book and a nonfiction book that are in your orbit. I'm not saying you got to read one a week. I'm not saying you got to read one a month. Have a fiction book, have a nonfiction book. And whenever, whenever you have a thought in your mind, what am I going to do with my time right now? Or, you know, I'm a little bored. Read. You never be, you never be bored. Read. Next up here, we have Stephen who writes, listening to yesterday's podcast, you definitely should see Last Man Standing. Well, thank you, Steve. I'm on it. Looking forward to it. And I will do it. Uh, Mike writes, uh, can't get through on the phone ever. You're so popular. It's weird, though. I can get through to Rush and Beck and Kilmeade. You're my favorite, though. <laughs> well, Mike, you're the man, dude. Thank you so much. That's very kind of you. I'm in very rarefied company there. Uh, with the great Rush and Beck and, uh, and Mr. Kilmeade. And you wrote also another great show. We love you, North Carolina. Well, well, Mike, we in the Freedom Hunt, we love you up here in New York City. So thank you very much, sir, for your kind words and your support. It really does mean a lot, and I appreciate it. Um, Jen writes, great show today. Have you read The Lord of the Rings yet? I try to read The Hobbit once a year. Jen, I'll tell you, I actually uh, did read The Lord of the Rings many years ago. And I also had the Lord of the Rings read to me. And it's one of the things I most remember from uh, grammar school. I had a fourth grade teacher named Mr. Bill Ryan, who was just a magnificent educator. And a lot of you know what I'm talking about. I mean, he, he created an environment where he was, he was telling great stories and he loved 
baseball and told us about his childhood in the Bronx and playing stickball in the streets, but also would have us listen to the uh, Vivaldi Four Seasons and uh, would play all this incredible classical music in the classroom all the time. Would and and he would just read to us also. And he'd be like, "All right, everybody, we're gonna take a little break here." And he would read to us for you know fifteen or twenty minutes at a time. Everybody just relax. And I'm going to read to you. And when you're a fourth grader, so I forget how old that is. I don't know, um, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, something like that. Uh, when you're a fourth grader and someone's reading to you and they really and they love it and you know it. And it's a great book like the well, a trilogy like the Lord of the Rings it stays with you. Uh, I, I will just put it out. I don't have kids. So you guys are all uh, experts in, in raising young, young men, young women. You know, boys and girls, um, I have not done that yet. I'm looking forward to it, though, hopefully soon. Uh, but I would just say, if you're ever looking for something to read to your kids, start with The Hobbit, make your way in The Lord of the Rings. Uh, it's something I'll never forget. And uh, Bill Ryan passed away some years ago, but he had a really big impact on me. Um, and with that, my friends, I'm going to close up the hut for the day. Excited to be back with you tomorrow. As always, Shields High!